This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today, well, today, I'm really happy to welcome screenwriters Meredith Hambrock and Jennifer Siddle to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Well, this is the fourth episode in our ongoing hashtag industry BFF series. It's the first where the hashtag industry BFFs actually reached out to me. As Meredith wrote in the pitch, we worked on three shows together, have put one another forward for jobs and teaching gigs, and there's no shortage of guff giving between us. Consider me sold. Meredith, I am not sure what guff giving is, but there better damn well be some of that here today. But first, let's tell the listeners a bit about our BFFs. Meredith Hambrock has worked in writing rooms on more than 125, that's so many, 125 episodes of TV comedy, where she's had the opportunity to write for many Canadian icons, including Michael J. Fox, Brent Butt, Russell Peters, and Brett the Hitman Hart. And best known for her work on the three-time Canadian Screen Award winning series, Cornegas Animated, she was recently nominated for a Leo Award for Best Screenwriting and Animation. Her darkly funny crime novel, Other People's Secrets, is being published in September 2022. Wait, that's right now. Whoa, it's like a revelation to me. In September 2022 by Crooked Lane Books. She currently teaches writing for animation and TV pilot workshops at Vancouver Film School. She has an MFA from the University of British Columbia in creative writing. Now, let's talk about Jenny Jennifer Siddle. Jen, Jenny Jennifer Siddle told me that she still doesn't know which one she prefers, so we're going to try them all out today. Originally from St. Albert, Alberta, which sounds like a town name that was invented in a comedy writer's room, Jen Jenny Jennifer Siddle is a Vancouver-based television writer. She started her career writing for kids on the tween sitcoms Mr. Young and Some Assembly Required, and she wrote on seasons three and four of Corner Gas Animated, for which she received two Canadian Screen Award nominations. She's a two-time Leo-nominated writer, has twice been a finalist for a Writers Guild of Canada Screenwriting Award, and is a graduate of Vancouver Film School's Writing for Film and Television program where she's also taught feature script 
TV spec, TV pilot, and the TV writer's room. P.S. VFS has since created an award in her honor. The Silver Siddle is awarded to the writing program graduate with the best TV script as voted on by their instructors. So that's who Meredith and Jen, Jenny, Jennifer are apart. But who are they together? What does a friendship between two comedy writers look like IRL? Why are more comedies made in Vancouver? What does guff giving mean? Am I giving guff now? What about now? Today, we'll explore all of this and more in this latest guff giving episode in our hashtag industry BFF series. Meredith Hambrock, Jen, Jenny, Jennifer Siddle, welcome to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Wow. Thank you very much. <laughs> wow. What an intro. Holy moly. Yeah. Now I have like Jen, Jennifer, Jen, Jennifer, Jen, Jen, Jeroux stuck in my head to the tune of like, <laughs> <laughs> from Mary I realize now I just should have chose one. Yeah. You should have. You should have. But I believe this is what guff giving is. I'm assuming. What is oh, yeah. guff giving? What is guff giving? Meredith, you're the one who wrote, who wrote, who put that in the email. I don't know what it is unless I'm doing it already. What is it? You are, I think, doing it already. I think it's uh, when anyone shows weakness, Jenny just pounces. <laughs> uh. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm totally joking. <laughs> it's, it's just a little bit giving someone a hard time, I think. Um, oh. And, yeah, I, I feel our friendship is defined by this. Um, and the getting on this podcast today was me forcing Jenny to admit that our BFF status is real to the YVR screen scene audience. It is us coming out as BFFs today. I think that's what we're doing here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm delighted to be used as a tool in this guff giving. So, okay. So, I mean, I've, I've provided, you both are providing a picture into um, who you are and where we are now, but how did you get here? You know, maybe tell me about, you know, how, how you met and what were your first impressions of each other? Who, you know what? I, I think Meredith was the one who pitched it. So let's start with with you, Jenny. That's what I'm settling on right now is Jenny. Uh, how did this all start? This flailing my hands around. Our, our, the first day we met was actually uh, kind of interesting, at least for me. I don't know if it was for Meredith, but I, I will tell that story. So Meredith was already working in a writer's room for this show called Mr. Young, which was a multi-cam sitcom that uh, was filmed in Burnaby. And I had gotten, um, basically they were going to hire me as like a writer's, I think my job was writer's assistant. So I was going to be in the writer's room. It was going to be my first writer's room gig. It was very excited for it. And um, so I was nervous, of course. And the first thing we're doing that day is a table read with all the actors and everything. So um, I am going to work and I'm with my boyfriend is driving me to work that morning and uh, we get in a fight on the way to work. <laughs> and I were kind of fighting about tra- because traffic and which way to go. And this was actually a little bit before, like we just had GPSs in our, you know, on our phones. At least mm-hmm. I didn't because I had this like Blackberry. And um, so anyway, you know, we're fighting about the traffic and all this stuff. And, and, uh, and anyway, we missed the turnoff and I start heading to like 
I don't know, it's like Surrey, I guess. I'm this is where <gasps> I'm going and I can't get off the highway and I'm I'm just freaking out. And so now I realize I'm gonna be late for my first day of work and it's no. a table read and this is awful. <laughs> I'm so, so anyway, for you. oh it was awful. So anyway, I finally did make it halfway through the table read. I was late and I was worried that that was gonna be it. I was just gonna lose this job. And anyway, Meredith is like politely sees me there and just quietly hands me the script and uh, shows me where to sit down and everything. And um, that was kind of my first introduction to Meredith. And then it ended up being a crazy day where um, this is already too much information I'm giving it. On this <laughs> no, this is, this is a podcast. That's a good amount of information. Yeah, I go home and it was like, all my boyfriend's stuff was gone and he just moved out that day. That was our last day together. And it was like, I was starting a new job. I didn't know. Oh my God. It was, it was a crazy day, but um, you know, I had Meredith with me there. (laughs) (laughs) It all turned out. Okay. (laughs) That's that. Honestly, that doesn't sound like a real story. That sounds like it was story that was broken in a writer's room. Wow. Yeah, so I think it's like a sitcom pilot of like a like a new girl esque series of like your dream comes true and then your relationship falls apart or something like that. Right? You know, yeah, you finally get the green so dream job, but this falls apart. But I, I honestly think that maybe um, because the showrunner felt so sorry for me, maybe that's why he didn't fire me. Showing <laughs> 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 <I> up late. <laughs> <laughs> And like, I think I remember that you were like, they said, we have a new writer coming in and like, it was sort of in the middle of the season. And that was a show where we worked really, really hard. There were really long hours. It was like a lot of fun, but it was a lot. And I remember just seeing you kind of like slink in during the table read and be like, oh no, I feel so bad. Just because you know that no one would do that on purpose ever. Um, Especially when it's like your first writing job and like your first time in a room. So I think we were all just eagerly awaiting the story. We were just like, oh, this this is going to be good. (laughs) I just remember being shocked at how unflappable Jenny was. Like, I feel like um, underneath you were probably like losing your shit, but I don't remember it being like a thing at all for you personally and you had such a good sense of humor about all of it too which I think was so important for that writing room as well because it was just like constant guff getting <laughs> all the time guff giving um, there it is absolutely yeah and Meredith was the script coordinator on that show at that time and she, like she worked the longest hours out of all of us because she, you kind of had to be there the first thing in the morning and last at night right and um you know, I wanted to be nice to Meredith anyway, because she was a nice person, but you also just want to be nice to the, the script coordinator because, you know, they're doing a lot of things, not not just ordering lunch, <laughs> which you can't have, <laughs> but they're doing a lot of things like the showrunners are always kind of looking to them as being like, do you think this is working out? How's this going? And and um, yeah, she was she was like the quarterback of the room. Before we dive even deeper into this this friendship and we also have to figure out what your your uh squish name your hashtag squish name is going to be to talk about your samira's like marini or jaredith or i mean we'll workshop it i want to talk a little bit about comedy writers rooms you know um i mean first of all i don't think we have enough comedy writers rooms virtually or otherwise in vancouver uh and that's kind of a, a travesty um but you know what do what are some things that writers need to succeed in a comedy writer's room? I think it's got to be this balance of making sure your voice is heard, but 
but also making sh- like not talking over people, hearing what their ideas and not just hearing their ideas, but like piggybacking onto them, you know, like I think that's there's something about a writer's room where it, it, if you feel like the other people in the room are supporting you instead of trying to compete with you for jokes, that mm. really helps. Because I think I think probably Meredith and I both work with writers, both kinds of writers, you know, the ones that are like, you know, hearing what you're saying and maybe like let's build on that let's build on that versus the ones who just try and block what you're saying and come up with their own idea and and you know want want their idea to be the one that goes through but yeah it's all it's that balance right where you have to um you you have to make sure there's a reason that they have you in the room and make your voice heard but also you know not try and take over yeah I think it's very much like I listened uh to the episode with Dennis Eaton and Rachel Langer and it's just like that ability to just continue to keep the like the river flowing forward um towards something and especially in a comedy writer's room like it's just endless pitching I think and not being upset if your pitches don't land and like recognizing that if like it's not because they didn't hear the joke that they didn't like it it just means they didn't like it so what else do you got kind of thing I think having that sort of endless ability to just keep going with different pitches and different jokes and not just stop and be like, wait, why didn't you like my uh, Jen, Jennifer, Jen, Jennifer, Jen, Jen, Jeru joke? Let's uh, unpack that. Hey, that was an A plus joke. Okay. (laughs) I love that one, Meredith. No, no guff giving there. No, absolutely. Yeah. So (laughs) it's just being like, um, why, you know, not getting bogged down in like any kind of perceived failure and just constantly showing up the plate and like being fun to work with also. I think that was partially one of the reasons why that whole writing team that on the team, like the writing team of Mr. Young and some assembly required, like we all kind of became buddies, I think, because um, you really are just constantly laughing at each other and sharing things and being willing to share things, I think is a big one also. And then, um, show up the next day and do it all over again and do it all over again. I think Dennis in one of his uh, Dennis has been on the podcast a few times, but I I believe he said this on every single one of his sorry, Dennis, I'm not saying that you're repetitive or anything, but he does talk about that. A writer's room is a combination of like um, a a confessional and an evening at the improv, you know, that it's like it's a safe space, you know, but you also have to be like, you know, out there thinking, putting yourself out there. So unless I got it wrong, Dennis, and I guess you can come on again to tell me. <laughs> no, I think all, that's very, I think that's very true. And I think too, when we were working on those shows, like Mr. Young and some assembly required, like Meredith said, there were really long days, but also this was sort of the end of getting like 23, 26 episode seasons. Like we mm. were still getting those big, long seasons. So not only was it long days, but it was like, we were, you know, together for probably like six, six or seven months. Am I right, right about that? Yeah. Um, like it was like, we were there together for a long time, whereas writer's rooms now, you know, can be really short or sometimes they'll go on for two weeks. They'll take a break. They'll come back. But we, we were just like, we had to become a family and you really do start sharing your lives with each other because you spent most of the time with each other. <laughs> and basically like you, then you'd get exhausted and you just start <laughs> probably oversharing things. But I think that all helps with story too. But we were, yeah, I, I feel really lucky that we were able to be on a show like that, that got all all those episodes and I don't think we realized at the time how lucky we were and that this was kind of the end of that man yeah, totally. the end of the beginning it barely got a chance to to start that was such a such a great time and I, I was a big some assembly require fan and just like the the amount of I mean, I mean, it had the, one of the best sets I think I've ever seen, you know, of any um, of any of the shows here. But, you know, Vancouver really has not had a chance 
to really show that we can do comedy. You know, it's there's so few and far between opportunities, you know, that we get to actually show that, yeah, we're we don't just do dystopian sci fi. We're actually a really funny people. We have a very distinct kind of humor out here and we should have a we should be, you know, writing and setting more comedies here in Vancouver. I'll get off my soapbox now. But what are your what are your thoughts about that, Meredith, Jenny, Jen, Jennifer, (laughs) about Vancouver comedy and Vancouver humor? Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is a great city for comedy. We've got like a really tight knit comedy scene, I think. Um, And just a lot of writers who are used to have a ton of experience, first of all, and then are used to kind of like playing ball on all kinds of series that aren't just comedy. So they bring such a diverse range of experience to the roles and to the writing and stuff like that uh, when they show up. Um, And I also think living in Vancouver, it makes you like your whole life is usually just one big giant compromise because it's so expensive and so hard, but like it's so beautiful at the same time. And there's so much frustration inherent in it. And I don't think you can live in the city and like thrive in the city without having a good sense of humor. So, um, yeah, it's all a big joke. It's like you're like you look at your bills and then you look at the mountains. You're like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I guess it's worth it. I don't know. I guess it's worth it this month. I know. And the people who stick it out are the ones who are like, yeah, absolutely. But ah, like they're just, you know, or you just spend all your money in the summer and then cry all winter and come back to it. But yeah, to like stick it out, I think you really need that. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Great sense of irony anyway. Yeah. What do you what do you think, Jen, Jenny, Jennifer? I'm going to stop because I I realize that that's not that funny. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I haven't decided which I asked Jenny. I like Jenny a lot. Um, so Jenny's Jenny, probably you, the most most common. What is oh, so now you're saying I'm common? Wow, Jen. <laughs> Very oh, my <laughs> oh my god. What is, what is Vancouver humor? You know, what and why aren't we doing why aren't we exploiting this natural resource that we have? You know, the way that we ex- exploit all of our other resources. That's a good question because they're they're like we do not have a history of writing sitcoms in Vancouver, and I don't understand why. Um, but on the same you know thread, I guess that's a a thing across Canada now. Like we're not producing that many comedies anymore. There there are some, but certainly not multicam sitcoms like that. Mm. I think that we might have found the end of that road. There are still a few around, and they're usually like um, viewer wise the most popular. You know. Mm. Um, but you know, you still you you do look at the fact that you know my nieces who are, um, you know, like tweens are still watching Friends. There's got to be something mm-hmm. to that, right? That they yeah. you know they find a lot of comfort in that. Um, I I don't know R- writing on those multicam sitcoms. Like some people are like, oh, with the laugh track and the blah blah. They think it's like you know some kind of lowbrow humor or something. But working on them as a writer is the best. Like it's it's the best. It's kind of like you're writing a stage play in a way, right? Like everyone's. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it the whole the whole set is set up like a stage and I don't know, I love them. Like yeah. Yeah, we we were really lucky and it's just sort of the the way that they're shot and or written and shot, I guess I should say, is that you basically do an episode in, in a week. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of get to see like the script is written and you would do a kind of a table read. I can't remember if it was like the week before or not, but you do a table read and then you by the Friday you have a you do a bunch of rewrites, um, you change up the jokes, you make sure that everything is like ship shape. And then by the Friday you have you get to see a full episode. Um and that is so creatively 
incredibly rewarding and so much fun. And you just really get to get in there with like the jokes and the lines and you're constantly rewriting jokes and repitching stuff and like rewriting scenes and just like tweaking um, to your heart's content. And that that is just the most fun as a writer. I think especially like if you like rewriting and you like kind of getting your hands dirty, it's like it's like summer camp. Yeah, it's kind of the only way to work in TV and get immediate response to your jokes, right? When there's an audience sitting there, yeah. you get to hear it and you can you can change them. You have the opportunity to change it if it's not working. It's great. Yeah. And like also like learn that how much performance um, and how the performance of a joke can land and getting to work with kids also is fun because they're so like they'll kind of go along with like notes in like a really kind of open-hearted way because they're learning as well. So they're very much just like, oh yeah, I'll try it this way. And then I'll try it that way. And then, you know, when people laugh, they kind of get that reassurance that you're all kind of like on a team and working together and sort of trying to help each other just make the best product possible, which is- yeah. I have an 11 year old, so I also know that if a joke is not funny, they will let you know they oh, yeah. they will. There, There's no honesty quite like 11 year old honesty. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, that, that was our target audience. Yeah. 11 year olds. Yep. <laughs> 11 year olds sitting there with their arms crossed. Be like, make me laugh. You're like, oh, no. It's like the most terrifying, the most terrifying audience. So we I mean, so we have talked now. We have talked about comedy writers rooms. We have talked about, you know, the sitcoms. Um, what I want to hear is about now the two of you together as Jaredith. I think that's what we're going to go with for your for your squish name. Jaredith, hashtag industry BFFs. How, how and why and what makes you hashtag industry BFFs? What is the nature of your collaboration? <laughs> um, Jaredith. There it is. Well, I think I will say that when we worked on the shows, we, I think, just got along, um, liked each other. We're in a similar position in the writing room where we both were desperate to, like, move up and, um, you know, get to write more scripts and uh, that kind of thing. Um, and also, I just used to always make fun of Jenny for living in Burnaby, and I don't know why I thought that was so funny. <laughs> I think it was like some jealousy because her drive home was like five minutes and mine was like 25. And I was like, oh, so I was on commuting, you know, like an hour a day to the studio. Sorry, can you give me an example of how you would make fun of her for living in Burnaby? I mean, I don't even think it was a good joke. I'd be like, well, Jenny wouldn't know about the mountains because she lives in Burnaby, which is like, it doesn't make any sense, obviously. Um, but I was in my 20s and I was like, ha, gotcha. Um, and then there was a time when I was homeless <laughs> um, and Jenny let me live in her spare room. And in Burnaby. In Burnaby. <laughs> yeah. So I, wow. I got to kind of eat humble pie a little bit then at that point, but it was actually really fun. Um, and a good time. I feel like that was when our friendship really started to take off. <laughs> I also do like that. If you live in Burnaby, you're, you're called a Burnabonian. Like that's what your, <laughs> your name as a citizen is. That feels so dirty. I've never, I've never heard that before. Is that true? Yes, I think it's true. Well, a Burnabonian? Burnabonian. Not a Burnabarian? <laughs> Burnabonian. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's definitely that's one point for uh, for for Burnaby and for the Burnabonians. Wow. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm really curious though about is okay, and and I talk to this a lot with actors as well. The way that this business is set up is often 
for artists to be competitive with each other, to be to be combative with each other. Um, I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about Brenna Bodie. <laughs> You know yeah. what? You should probably look it up. I'm 75%. No way. I trust you as an ambassador of uh, Bernabonian. Bernabonia? Burnaby. Oh my gosh. You really messed with my head. Bernabonia. <laughs> Bernabonia. Bernabonia. You know, so how, how does competition uh, and kind of that, that whole aspect of the business, in, you know, impact your relationship, you know, or d- does it impact at all? And, and, and should it at all? You know, I'm thinking about, cause my daughter goes to the dojo and their whole thing is there, you know, um, competition breeds excellence. Uh, and I don't know, is it the same for writers? Yeah, I would say it is. I think there is an element of competition, um, maybe you, especially when you're younger, because you just feel like you have to prove yourself all the time. Mm. I wonder, I don't know if Meredith, you feel the same way, but I sort of feel like when we were in, um, those earlier writers rooms that like, maybe because we, you know, we were like the women in the room. I, I, I feel like we all, the women stuck together a little bit, um, and support each other a little bit more. Um, even though we did overall have a quite a really supportive writer's room, I'm still friends with everybody in that room. I love them. But I think that there was an element of that just because, um, you know, you'd come from this idea of like comedies rooms were just a bunch of white guys all in this room together making jokes. And they were, I mean, that, that was the case for so long that I think, um, I think there was an element of that to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think it might, I might've just been like naive at how, like, I didn't really understand how, like kind of what you said earlier, I didn't realize how lucky we were. Um, Cause there were so many episodes and so many, um, like we were just constantly working for like three or four years, I think. And um, that in itself was like, at least was really, you know, it was really special, but I think at the time I was like, oh, like there's plenty to go around. And they're definitely, I think we're seeing now a bit of, you know, the opposite. But I think part of it, too, is just realizing that you're not going to have a fun time at work and you're not going to be your best self if you're showing up trying to better your like push your career forward. Mm. You're going to look good if you make other people look good, if you make other people feel good. And then they'll, you know, put you up for jobs later on and they'll help your career later on. And it's better to like go in making friends and having that kind of like generosity of spirit and stuff like that. And being like willing to laugh at things and being willing to, at least for me, feeling be willing to look like an idiot a lot of the time, I think. Um, I definitely had a bit of a ditzy reputation in that room, I think. Um, and but it was like being, you know, you want to have fun at work, I think, too. And so there was that element of it as well. And Meredith, well, you did do that. You did uh, recommend me for a job after that uh, in, the, in the Corner Gas writer's room, which I, I very much appreciate it. But yeah, it is that kind of idea where like we kind of, you know, the seed started in those rooms. And then we, we, we didn't work together for quite a few years after that. And then all of a sudden she recommended me for that corner gas writer's room. And then we were back together again. And it was yeah. great. <laughs> so let's talk about style then, you know, how are your, your working styles and your writing styles different and how are they the same? Hmm, that's a good question. I'd like to have one. That was the one that I can rest. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing I've always thought about Meredith and we, I think why you were so valuable in those writer's rooms um, on like Mr. Young and some assembly is because you were just a little bit younger than all of us. And, and even, 
you know, you, you just have a very young spirit to you and you just understood more about what the kids were sort of into, right. More than we did. And I've always noticed that about your writing is like, Oh, she's a lot hipper than me. (laughs) 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 Oh, she understands a lot more of like that demographic than I do, which I really can learn from working on so many kids shows over my career. Yeah, it's definitely tough, I think, to keep yourself in that headspace. I think for me also, it's, I've always, what I really learned on Corner Gas Animated, especially, I think about myself is that I really love kind of the story breaking and like character driven um, kind of element of things. And I really like kind of getting into the heads of characters. And I think something Jenny does so well is just like find the comedy and the absurdity in um a lot of situations so if I'm like well how do we make this make sense then Jenny's like how do we make this hilarious Mm. and then can just like show up on the page in such a strong funny simple way because that is something I think a lot of people don't appreciate about comedy is it's so much about clarity and simplicity and I was remember just reading some of your corner gas animated scripts and being shocked at how clean the like jokes were and how short like short the lines are and I know that that sounds sort of weird if you haven't experienced like comedy but it really is just about like brevity and to have kind of someone who can come in with their like zingers um and these kind of like really tight jokes was like it obviously was so easy to um recommend you for that gig because you like always knocked it out of the park now that you mentioned that well thank you for saying that but I think that's a, a difference between our writing styles too is that I um I actually think I sort of lack imagination in a lot of things. <laughs> like I, I, I love dialogue. I love writing dialogue. I love writing jokes, but I, I have a hard time. And it's, it, which is a silly thing when you're working on an animated show, like you should be able to like, Oh, the world is your oyster kind of a thing. Um, but I had a hard time really like, you know, taking advantage of the animated space in the in a way I could have. Meredith was really good at that. Like she thinks she can think really big and you have to rein her in. And I, I'm the opposite. Like I think really minimally and like, it's like, okay, how can we make that bigger and bigger? Um, and it's actually easier to go big and rein it in, I think, because then you've got this big idea out there. So I think that's one of Meredith's big strengths. I think mm. for that show also, we were really like, you it's still corner gas you want to serve the audience of that show where it's very grounded comedy it's like people kind of you know it's very like human um but at the same time we're like oh but we can have like geese and airplanes and we can have deer and just like you can really have fun with um things that still make sense but are um make sense to that audience i guess or pirate ships or like (laughs) mad max dystopia or michael j fox doing all sorts of weird stuff (laughs) like there's fantasy you could go into fantasy world if someone was dreaming or or daydreaming or whatever right where where they couldn't do that as much on the on the live action version yeah not quite as much no tablets it's the mad max stuff that like really like shocked me about corner gas animated so this this feel a little bit like therapy you might get a little emotional I don't know but I want I want to say I want okay so we're gonna start I don't know who wants to go first do I tell you what you're gonna do and then you choose and then I'll say what we're gonna okay no okay so I what is something you haven't told the other person yet about the influence they've had on your work now who'd like to go first hmm Okay. okay, if no one chooses, I'm going to have to choose. <laughs> I think I could go first, I okay, guess. And this is this is a little bit, it's a little bit about 
personality as well, um, where I think I'm a definitely a more neurotic person than Jenny, uh, for sure. And I think that working with Jenny and just um, her influence on me as like someone who shows up to work every day was just to just like relax <laughs> um, and have fun. And like nobody cares uh, about these little things that you're like getting caught up in. And I think that um, her sort of just working style in the writing room and like how she was sort of buddy buddy with everyone and like kind of the like simple way that she approaches like people um, and working with people that had a big, big influence on me early on in the career when I was like, ah, like kind of desperately flailing and trying to like find, you know, find my footing. Um, and I don't know if it's just like a chill demeanor on the surface and then there was like, you're just really good at hiding it, but it definitely, I think had a huge influence on how I kind of approached my career and like networking and stuff like that and feelings, um, <laughs> later on in my career for sure. Do you find Meredith that as you get older, you just start to care a little bit less about like, you know, what people think of you or the anxiety in the room? I, I certainly found that way. Like you just, I don't know, you just get a little more confidence, I think, as you. Yeah, I think so. I think like once you have more scripts under your belt and stuff like that, I've definitely found it. And I'm feeling very chill right now, even though I haven't had a job in a while, which is maybe not the right feeling. But um, yeah, I think you just sort of you get more confident and you certainly worry about things less because, you know, you have mm -hmm. so little control in this profession. Yeah, I would say something about Meredith that I haven't told her before is that, you know, she just mentioned that um, how, you know, one of your favorite things to do is like story breaking now. And um, and I I found that, you know, because we worked on these shows together, Mr. Young and Some Assembly and Meredith was, you know, the script coordinator. She she would write a couple scripts, but, uh, you know, her job was she had so much else going on in her job, like in addition to like. Um, pitching stories she had all this other like admin stuff to do like I, I honestly don't even know how you did that job but um, but then we were on corner gas a few years later and this is when Mer like this is when I really saw Meredith shine especially with the story breaking stuff because I don't think she had an opportunity to do that as much before um, because you just had you know so many things on your plate but I was really I told I it's funny I told other writers about this and not you that I was like you know Meredith has really come into her in her own in a writer's room like her story breaking is so great like your joke but especially your story breaking I noticed I was like oh wow like I saw such an evolution um in you as a as a writer in a, in a room uh, in those years on corner goes and I didn't ever know do that before oh <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I love that yeah I think that show too it was just like such a it was the opposite of the other shows we worked on where we had a lot of time to not like too much time but like just we got it was a much more relaxed sort of slow burn because with animation we were writing kind of ahead of production instead of like during production mm -hmm. and that just changes the energy so much <laughs> hmm. Now, I know that you have both uh, taught workshops and classes at VFS, Vancouver Film School. Uh, and I'm wondering what you feel students need to know about collaborating in a writer's room, you know, about the inner workings of a writer's room, about interpersonal relationships, you know, that they that might not have been part of the curriculum, you know, back in the day and still might not be. I definitely think, and Meredith has touched on this already, like be likable in the room. You know what I mean? Like pe people are going to hire you if they want to work with you. There's a lot of hours. You have to spend a lot of hours with, you know, this group of people. And so be likable, support your other writers. Um, 
I think that's such a huge thing. Like, I know you're trying to, you know, make your voice heard, but that is, that goes such a long way. And I think anybody will tell you that who's a showrunner is like, yeah, I mean, talent is great and skill and jokes, but like, be, you know, be someone you want to hang out in a room with for hours and hours. Hmm. Yeah. And I think also when you go into a writer's room, a lot of people are like, they picked me. I'm, I'm the guy like, and like celebrate, be happy. You got the job, I think, but then remember that you're there to help your showrunner serve their, serve their vision basically. Right. Like you're trying Mm -hmm. to help someone who went through a lot to get this show on the air, to get money, to get um, talent involved. They've already done so much. It's you're there to um, help them achieve their vision for the show. So how can you best do that? And is it just, you know, constantly pitching ideas? Is it, you know, not being precious when something gets shut down? Is it um, really just helping keep that flow moving forward? And then you will eventually have your time. I think if you kind of put in the work and you help other people, like you will get your show on the air eventually. Um, If you're lucky and and, you know, the stars align and all of those crazy things that need to happen for your show to to make it. But, um, yeah, you're there to help. Yeah, you're on the same team. I think that sometimes like I have to remind myself that sometimes, too. It's like, oh, yeah, we're we're all on this in this together. Like, you know, we don't have to compete with each other. We're on the same team. We all have the same goal. Right. How do you as a writer, you know, like, let's say you're going into the writer's room every day and you're like, I'm you're you're a team player and you're there to serve the showrunner's vision and everything. And yet there's like one idiot there who is just bringing just bad vibes into the writer's room, you know, super toxic, super. It's all about them. You know, what do you as a writer in that room, you know, do in that kind of situation? I think, I mean, I've been pretty lucky so far that I haven't had any really super toxic people in my writer's room, which I'm thankful for. But I think especially in the comedy room, I've never worked in drama before, but in comedy, what's so great about it is like, everybody will just make fun of that person until they realize (laughs) that they're being that way, right? Like, it's so easy to just make fun of them, you know, and I feel like they have it coming for them. Yeah. And there's so much, I think, that's just like managing your own emotions and stuff like that, that if you can just focus on yourself and your own attitude, like that person's likely going to, you know, even if it's not on this show, it might be later on, like their career will not be sustainable, I think, um, if they treat people like that, because I think it's hard to be super two-faced as a person so I think yeah so just focus on you know what you can do to make it better and also if it's comedy room yeah you can roast them as hard as you want because your showrunner will probably like that (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about zoom uh because you know there was there was an age where zoom was just a action a verb we would zoom along now it's literally how we communicate it's how we communicate now and i know that that uh, it's how a lot of writers rooms are gathering uh how is to your knowledge like how is zoom impacting writers rooms and is there anything that we're losing you know in writers rooms in this age of zoom I would say, you know, one of the benefits is that I feel like you're a lot more focused on Zoom. And I I didn't like Zoom at first, but I don't think anybody really did. At first, it was just like, what? Like, how long is this going to last? But um, I think we do 
like in my experience so far, the writers, the day of the writer's room has has ended like earlier than it probably would have if we were all in a room. Because if we're all in a room, it's like, you know, you're walking around, you're distracted, you're going to want to order lunch, you do all these things, you know, all that kind of thing, which, by the way, I love ordering lunch. So I do miss that <laughs> a, lot. Uh, a lot, a lot. But um, yeah, and I mean, there's also the thing that you don't have to worry about commute and you can be in a writer's room with people across the country now, which mm. wasn't really happening before, but I've become a fan of zoom writer's rooms. Um, I didn't think I would, but I, I have, I don't know how you feel, Meredith. Yeah. I think that we were sort of lucky cause we did it on corner gas animated. And I think we had a smaller group um, on that one, which um, made it, I think easier to kind of, kind of, avoid that sort of crosstalk and stuff like that, that I think, I think you miss out on sort of that, like organic sort of team building friendship, sort of, you know, um, fun time, but because people I think generally are like, oh, they want to get off Zoom, they don't want to like stick around. So I agree with Jenny when she said that it's a lot more productive and you kind of get through your days um, quicker. Yeah, I do agree. I think you're, or I think you're missing out on kind of the like sort of fun, but I do, I really like Zoom. Um, yeah. And it's a bonus if cats or dogs or other animals shows oh, yeah. up right in the zoom room. And I'm kind of sad. My cats have not visited us so far <laughs> this call. Um, it's I think they that I wanted that. No, it's nice. Cause they're like they're fluffy and they put their butts up in the screen. Anyway, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I'm not offended at all. Um, Meredith, you got a book coming out this month. Really? Tell us all about it. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's called Other People's Secrets. Um, it's a dark comedy about a uh, dumpster baby who grows up as an alcoholic in a small town uh, living and working at a lakeside resort. That's and- a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dark comedy. It's definitely a oh, bit dark of a comedy. Character. Yeah, it's definitely a dark brown comedy. Um, it's sort of like Goonies and Dirty Dancing meets like Breaking Bad, I would say, sort of. Um, and it's about the employees at this lakeside resort who are thrown in their lives are thrown into chaos when the resort is purchased by a new owner. Um, and they decide to search for this sunken treasure that will hopefully change their fate and help them face down this sort of drug dealer who's trying to ruin their town. So um, there's a lot. Wow. It's, a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. it's very character driven. Um, yes. And hopefully cinematic. <laughs> this, this is what I was talking about, how Meredith thinks really big. Like I would have <laughs> never, ever come up with this plot before, yes. ever. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. I love the hopefully cinematic as well, because this that's definitely a story that I want to see. I want to read the book and then I want to see it on the screen. Oh, fingers crossed. That would be <laughs> a dream come true, obviously. The long shot dream come true. But yes. Has Jenny, have you read it? I haven't, but I have my copy right here. So I'm, I'm about to dive in. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> OK, well, um, you've answered all of my questions. I feel like I have more of an understanding today about what a what a friendship between honey screenwriters looks like is there anything we've missed is there anything that you want to say to you know to other screenwriters who want to have a little bit of what the two of you have with each other well actually just as Meredith was talking I you know you brought up a good point Meredith about how it's like on zoom it's harder to have you know, kind of make friends in the writer's room because you're not having those side conversations or, you know, the lunchtime conversations. And I, I guess I didn't realize that until now. It's like, this is going to be a harder thing for people to do if, if writer's rooms 
kind of continue to be on Zoom to make to make the BFFs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would say definitely make the BFFs. Try yeah. go, go out there and look for BFFs. I think writers are not always uh, instinctively like um, like <laughs> looking to socialize. Um, but I will say that, and there was a time in my career where I was like, I'm going to just become a genius alone in my apartment. <laughs> and that obviously has not happened. But um, I think all of the opportunities I've ever, I've had in the last like five years or so to like build community with writers have been the best parts. So definitely go looking for writers groups, look for pals, make stuff with your friends um because that's the that's the best part agreed and i agree too but that's just because i listened to the two of you and you made (laughs) my heart sing today meredith hambrock jen jenny jennifer siddle where can our listeners find you follow you celebrate you on social media and also buy your book meredith uh, wherever books are sold, um, definitely support your local indie. You can pre-order through them or just order through them, I guess, because it comes out tomorrow. Um, and there's also an audiobook. It's going to be on Audible and wherever audiobooks are sold as well. So if you're an audiobook person, which I definitely am, feel mm-hmm. free. Yeah. Awesome. And, and you can check out the footnotes for this episode and find links to to all of that. And what about you, Jen, Jenny, Jennifer? Oh, my God. Why do I keep doing that? It's not even funny. Ugh. It's so fun to say, though. I challenge it really is. Say, Jen, Jennifer, Jen, Jennifer. <laughs> Until you guys started doing that today, I all of a sudden I have this flashback. But my uncle used to call me that as a kid. And I completely forgot about that until now. I was Jen, Jenny, Jennifer. Wow. Wow. Um, uh, where can people find me? On Twitter, I guess. What is my handle? At Jen Siddle, I think. Jen, at Jen Siddle. Two N's, one N? Two ends. Uh-huh. I think that's what it is. Think? I think it's the same on maybe Instagram is at Jennifer Siddle, but I might be private now. So if you look like a creeper, I'm not going to let you follow me. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how you didn't know. I like you're like, I don't know. One end, two ends, but I don't know. Maybe you're a creep. It's at, I think it's at Jen Siddle, two ends on Twitter. <laughs> fantastic thank you thank you both for being here uh, and meredith thanks for pitching your uh bff ship to me today uh, i i love getting to talk to you getting to know you and um i'm gonna go back and uh watch some of those episodes of uh quarter gas animated and uh, try to figure out you know what came from who <laughs> wonder if it will be obvious to me i don't know <laughs> All right, listeners, please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined to help us find even more listeners that we can keep having conversations like the incredibly rad one we had today. Find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenscene and at Sabrina Arf. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Ferminger. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support. Yes, I know we got a lot of Furmingers over here. And to Dane, not Furminger Devalet for the original music. While your screen scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short, or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, 
UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.